Welcome to the Resistance Broadcast, everybody. I'm John. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a very special episode in store for you. I know we say that a bunch, but we Every really time, do. But yeah. we really mean it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have a great interview with the composer for Solo, A Star Wars Story. John Powell is joining us in just a few minutes. We had an incredible chat with him that lasted, I believe, over an hour where we talked about a lot of his career because he is an uh, Academy Award nominated composer for How to Train Your Dragon. He's won several awards, including multiple for Solo, A Star Wars Story. <laughs> Uh, he is a supporter of hashtag make solo to happen actively on his Instagram account. He's looking for more solo, uh, but we really uh, got to have a wonderful chat with him about his career. But mostly, of course, the thing we love the most, his score for solo, a Star Wars story. And my honestly, my mouth hurts from smiling so much. So I, I, <laughs> I guys, Lacey, I mean, we're, we don't want to give away too much because it's right around the corner here for, for our audience. But uh, what a great chat, huh? Yeah, he is so awesome. And I know I say that about every person we talk to, but he is so awesome. They're the best. I'm obsessed, the best. Right. But he has such a good sense of humor. You guys are going to be laughing so much throughout this interview. And as someone that doesn't come from like a musical background or know anything about instruments, I don't play any instruments or anything. I just like music. Uh, to hear the way he works and the way his brain operates and how he approaches things was so interesting and i've learned so much that i hope you guys learn a lot too yeah james yeah i mean, I mean you guys are saying it exactly I, I think the thing about him was like it was kind of one of those things where you're like listening and then you're like hanging on the next word every word you know and you're like oh my gosh like he he's he would deliver things in such a way where you're like, I'm not even a hundred percent sure I know what you're talking about. And I love it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of classical name drops he did where you nod because you don't want to be like, and who's that? And who's that? So I have a long list of names I have to look up clearly. And I had some fun with that during the chat, obviously. But uh, before we get to the interview real quick, because we know he would support us talking about this. Uh, just a reminder that Monday, May 24th, Make Solo 2 Happen Day is back for the third time, unfortunately, but we are bringing it back. Uh, we have a call to action. Just a reminder, if you would like to be a part of a very special video we're putting together for Make Solo 2 Happen Day, uh, just record a 10 to 15 second video of why you want to see more of Han and Chewie in a movie, in a Disney Plus series. Bring in your action figures, your Make Solo 2 Happen gear, your pins, your solo gear, your dice, your pets, your friends, whoever. 10 to 15 seconds. Email it to us at resistancebroadcast at gmail.com. Put Make Solo 2 Happen Day in the subject with your name. And we'll get you in our very special video that we're going to launch on Make Solo 2 Happen Day. But most importantly, on the day, Monday, May 24th, take to your Twitter accounts, take to your Facebook, take to your Instagram, whatever you got. And all day... Shoot out hashtag make solo to happen and why you would love to see the continuation that we knew was supposed to happen at the end of solo. Right, guys? Yes, yeah. absolutely. All right. So I know you're here for the interview with the amazing John Powell. So here it is. John, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the Resistance broadcast. We're so happy to have you. A pleasure. <laughs> All right. So uh, to kick things off, we kind of have to ask, you know, we're not looking for your whole, you know, biography inside the actor studio type of thing here. But uh, if if young John Powell 
was told by revisited via a DeLorean old John Powell. And he said, you're going to work with John Williams one day and you're going to write film scores. How would a young John Powell have reacted to that? I know you were musically inclined. You did a bit of a rock band sort of thing, according to your Wikipedia. So what would your reaction have been as a, as a young fellow? I would have been very happy. <laughs> I think <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the only plan. I mean, you know, I had lots of sort of ideas of things I'd like to do. Um, I mean, if I did go back and and tell myself that, I I I hope that I'd also be smart enough to tell myself to buy Apple and Tesla. <laughs> You're right. right. <laughs> but, um, but the the real thing I probably would have said to myself is, you know, how hard is it going to get to be that? How hard is it going to be before I get to that point? And if I'd sure. been honest with myself, I would have probably said, oh, it's going to be quite easy, which it wasn't. Because if I if I told myself how hard it is going to be to get to the point at which you kind of, uh, you know, you get this kind of success, it, it, it's hard to sort of face it that way. I think the sure. great thing I've found in my career is that um, I tried not to put too much interest in the actual results that I am going towards, but in the process. And so if... If I told myself, well, you're actually going to enjoy some really, really shitty jingle sessions that you do, and you're going to enjoy some terrible TV that you do, and you're going to even enjoy some films that are going to be really, really bad, um, then I would have probably been that's, – that's how I sort of approached it always. I, I, I always try to enjoy everything. And I was lucky because I, I did like lots of different types of music, and the great thing about advertising music and – and films, as you do get to, you know, do a very wide variety of styles um, and right. things, you know, because I, I didn't really have any particular sort of plan, a singular plan to be in film. Um, all I knew was I wanted to be in music. And so I, I kept the the doors very wide for that. <laughs> okay. Would you have traded being able to be like a, a famous rock star versus where you are now Fuck or are you happy God. with the decisions you made Oof, no rockstar <laughs> no the, the problem with that is a that involves actually people looking at you which is awful and then um i mean i if i you know if i could sing i i would you know in my head i sound like aretha franklin you know um, <laughs> but uh i couldn't do touring no interest in touring uh, and even though i love rock music and you know I love lots and lots of different styles of music. The idea of doing one all the time would be kind of a bit boring. Um, the The fame is just strikes me as just being hellish. I mean, I think you have to you have to actually have the you know the a certain personality that 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 can put up with that. And and I certainly can't. I I much prefer to be being, be behind the scenes in the background. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, you can walk down the street and, and be an Oscar-nominated composer and people won't stop you for autographs or photos and that, that autonomy has to be a wonderful thing in addition to having the uh, impressive resume. So I, I completely get that. It's not what, so much what that. What music do well, you listen to in your free time? I mean, my, in, well, 
these days probably not enough i mean I, i've listened to a lot of music in my life and and as i get older unfortunately it sort of reduces and uh, but recently i've been trying to go back to some of the things i always used to listen to i've been it's been harder to find new things i must admit i used to find mm -hmm. a lot more interesting new music and uh maybe i'm just not searching it out anymore but uh i do go back and i you know i can put on um uh an album of uh you know of uh, say Kachaturian uh mm -hmm. and and be very happy or i can put on an album of uh ricky lee jones and be very happy um or i can put on a an album of uh billy may um uh and be very happy and so or, or i was i was doing woodwork the other day listening to uh bulgarian women's choirs <laughs> <laughs> wow. age mix but um no there's there's so much wonderful music that i've you know i can still listen to at any moment i I probably just haven't found anything recently uh, that has given me as much pleasure as some of the things on those lists. So I, I, I need to look for more of that, I must admit. Okay. I mean, we honestly, uh, you know, Star Wars music is, like George Lucas said, the lifeblood of the films. The the saga wouldn't exist if it wasn't for John uh, Williams' original score. Um, I you know I've seen previous interviews of yours and research for this. You've certainly been inspired by John Williams, and you kind of said that that worked its way into the as you put it the DNA of how you um, created your music, maybe especially for solo. Uh, so. Were you always a, a Star Wars fan or were you a casual fan? Or was this something like when you got the gig, you're like, oh my God, I'm actually going to be a part of creating something I, I loved as a kid. Where were you at in terms of your fandom of Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was a fan of the films probably more casually than, than obsessively. Um, I was a fan of John Williams probably from Time Tunnel. <laughs> you want to get real obscure you know, uh, that is you know or him playing or his piano playing on peter gunn if you really want to get you know that so i i was a fan of you know i was a fan of his arrangements in um in fiddler on the roof you know he won an oscar for that and that that was one of those things i found that out and i remember thinking that's an amazing job how he you know just obviously it's a great musical but being able to do that and so i remember when i was doing happy feet i kept that in my mind this is you know this is my version of doing fiddler on the roof oh, <laughs> i love that uh, <laughs> but no absolutely i mean i loved copeland and and you know uh so you know when john williams kind of comes from that language i love him but he also comes from a russian language and a french language and and an elgarian english language as well so you know he he touches on lots of places of musically i enjoy um the way he fits it into film is a sort of another art form of uh, of sorts, just from the music. Uh, I always start from the point of view of the music, and it's only sort of more recently that I've really got got much more into the how do you how exactly are we putting it to f picture, and what does that do, and what does it mean? Um, uh, but still, the music is really the thing for me. So I can listen to you know John's music, and it. I don't need image <laughs> right. um, to really get the same kind of feeling I get out of, you know, Stravinsky or Sibelius or, um, you know, or uh, Scrutability, believe it or not. So <laughs> I'm going to have to write all these names down and look them up. Later, it's so funny you say that, though, because 
going into talking with you, I was listening to This Is John Powell on Spotify, which is a collection of a bunch of your hits from different movies. And I felt the same way listening to it. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this moment. Oh my gosh, this moment's so great. So you definitely accomplished the same thing, for me at least, I'm sure with everybody, but of capturing perfectly moments and movies that go along with your music. Well, that's good. I mean, the thing you have to remember is that I, I sort of came at this from the point of view of seeing stories in symphonic music. Mm-hmm. So, and they're stories that you can't quite um, explain to people. Um, they, they're much more complicated than perhaps, um, not quite, they're not actually complicated. I think that they're just, they just bypass the kind of the, the, um, the language systems that we're used to using, including the storytelling. And, and when great storytelling in film happens, it's because it's bypassing, uh, language as well. It's, it's, it's going in a, via a different sort of, um, emotional route. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of can listen to John's music and, uh, you know, I can completely separate it from the film. And in a way, I, 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 I love to think if I can do it sometimes, you know, that some of the pieces I write for film would, would do the same for people. They might never know or have seen the movie or even know what it is or what it could be and, and sort of make their own stories up to it. Yeah, that, cool. I like that. There are sometimes a lot of movies like, and you, uh, not for you to name names of movies you've worked on before, but sometimes this, you, I'll love a score of a movie and just be like, the, the movie was a dud, but I loved the music. And, you know, sometimes the music makes me want to like a movie more just because I want to root for it better because the music does something to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I completely, I live that in a lot of movies that, I, that I've experienced. But, you know, you, you span... A wide range of things, like you said. Now, sticking to just films, uh, your first, I believe, was Face Off. That's you know clearly uh, an action movie, and then you've done other action series, the you know the Bourne films. You've done animated, whimsical, fantastical adventures through DreamWorks, including their first one, I believe, was Ants. Um, do you do you feel? And also, I believe you did. Did you you did United ninety three? Is that right? Yeah. So, and that's a movie based on, you know, tragic slash heroic real life events. So do you approach each project based on what it is, whether it's, oh, this is based on a true uh, event, so I need to do something differently. This is based on uh, a wildly fantastical thing of, of creatures that speak to each other as though they're humans, or do you approach everything with the same sort of palette and slate, uh, or is it a project to project thing? It's very much about, you know, whatever the story is. So... You know what you're really trying to do is you're trying to get a combination of you know my taste in music and film and you're trying to sort of make what is best for the movie with a the collaboration of all the other filmmakers so their taste comes into that they obviously their taste includes you know good or bad hiring me um and then <laughs> depending on what they want from me that they've heard before um you kind of take that into consideration. Uh, you take into consideration, you know, where the movie will play, how the movie will play. There's a lot of sort of much more kind of overarching things, you know, the studio, <laughs> what the studio wants, um, you know. Um, but essentially it's going to come out of the story. It's like, what does the story need? And, you know, some films need endless music. Um, United 93, Paul Greengrass and I talked a lot, a lot about you know, music in that. It's a... He shot it in such a, a realistic way. It's it's actually painful, and I I was kind of 
surprised that he wanted as much music. It was about 45, 50 minutes of music in it, which is small, short. That's a lot less than a normal film. But um, even so, I was surprised at how much we'd we put in it. And, and I think in the end, he felt that it was useful to have music because it kind of, it actually, it de, it took a little bit of the reality off it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as you, sure. put, you know, the idea of film is, it, it's a very kind of weird way of telling a story. It's a mixture of visuals and, and a play um, plus, you know, a symphonic <laughs> uh, or musical sort of uh, expression of a story, perhaps. Uh, cinematography, how every shot, you know, when you cut, why you cut, how you move the camera, the colouring, the, uh, and that's before you even get to the acting and the script. So all of this language is is expected of us because we've learnt it. It never, you know, before the 20th century, really, we didn't have that language. We had other kinds of language. You had, you know, plays and the proscenium arch, but we didn't, you know, you, we didn't know how to tell stories with film until we did. And, and, and it keeps changing as well. And, that, and, you know, very creative people come up with new and interesting ways of, of helping us tell, tell these stories. And once we get into sort of virtual reality or, or AR storytelling, you know, it will be, a very different experience because you know the visual isn't chosen so much some of it is but not who you look at right. who's talking and all these kind of things so there's many questions as as we move forward in the technology of film but basically it's you know the idea is that we all get together and try and find the right language for that particular way that story and how we want to tell that story i think Interesting. Okay. I mean, so, that might be right around the corner. Like Avatar two comes out like next year, <laughs> so who knows what uh, exactly what they're working on? Yeah, indeed. So, so it's shifting that and 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 thinking about Star Wars and and taking the gig with Solo. How did that come about for you to come aboard? Was it Lord and Miller? Was it Kathleen Kennedy having previously worked with Kennedy and Marshall on their films? Or like, how, how did you get brought on board for Solo? And what was that experience like? At what point did you get involved with the project? Was it you got the script and read the story? Can you give us an idea of how you got in the mix there? Um, I'm, You know, it was one of those things. You just get a call from your agent and say, would you be interested in? And then you, <laughs> you know, and... And the thing that they said up front was, would you be interested in doing this? Um, and John Williams might write a tune for it. And I think that was kind of a, a lead. But you didn't know it was Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew it. I knew it was an offshoot. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know everything, but you sign so many documents that you don't know anything until. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? um, <laughs> you know. And one more. <laughs> oh yeah. You, yeah. Signature here. To be very careful with the with the, uh, the Disney Empire, and um, so you get a call, and and they were kind of very upfront about it. It's like we'd like John to write a tune. You know, are you okay with that? <laughs> so I kind of, I couldn't stop laughing really i said why why don't why would i not be okay with that uh, and, and they could and you they, imagine if someone was like no absolutely not yeah <laughs> let's just put it that way some people don't want to do that they want, they want they want to have control over everything sure you know and you know i just saw that as an absolute bonus but definitely there's definitely people who wouldn't do it you know, even if they respect John Williams, they still wouldn't want to 
they would still want control over everything, you know. And, and, and yeah, I mean, we we talk about it a lot just in general with Star Wars, like when it comes into the sequel trilogy and stuff like that, how much J.J. Abrams could bring back a character or he could create his own and have his own legacy and stuff like that. So it's, it's very important to to ride that line a little bit. So, yeah, it does make sense, but it's also John Williams. <laughs> so, yeah. no, it, it, was, yeah. it was, it was, you know, I've said this before. It was like, uh, do you want to hang out with Yoda sort of thing and learn yeah. the things that you've always, <laughs> you've always wished right. you could even under know what it is that you don't know. I mean, that's, that was the main thing for me. So, uh, and he very kindly actually, believe it or not, he called me. He, he said, I just want to check that you're okay with this. So, oh, that's that's really yeah. sweet. So I, again, I I couldn't stop laughing, um, and and said to him, you know, all right, if they want me to do this film, my first responsibility is to the film, and so hence it is my responsibility to make sure that you come on board on this. <laughs> you know, that would be the best thing for the film, and it, and it, I truly believed it. it was like if we if we're going to do this right, if we can utilize, you know, John. Uh, that's got to be my first sort of um, my first position really is yes, absolutely. We, we have to do this and, and anything I can do to help make sure that that happens, I was going to, and it, and it turned out very well in the end. <laughs> how, wow. how was it now, like, taking apart his stuff and kind of playing it out through the rest of your music? Well, it, it's hard because I got, I got access to some things that I never thought I'd get access, like the sketches of all the original f- film scores. Um, and it is extraordinary. It's just all there. It's all there in these sketches. And, um, you know, he, he, I mean, you have to remember that he's not, before he's a film composer, he's just a, he's a, he's an incredible composer um, of the level which, you know, of names that will continue into the future. I mean, just the music he writes is not of normal film standard. Um, you know, he is writing compositionally at a level which is, you know, um, is fundamentally beyond what normally happens in film. So that became absolutely hellish for me to see the original sketches and and just try not to um, be sort of dominated by this thought that I, you know, I I don't, I'm not worthy. but I studied them mm-hmm. and I looked at them and I tried to sort of learn from them. Um, and then I froze up a lot and then I wrote some things and then I froze up more and then we got closer <laughs> to the point at which John came on. And so I had a bunch of things that I really had no idea whether or not they would be right, would work. And maybe I was holding off, you know, from deciding on anything until, um, you know, John came and, you know, on board. And, and once he came on board and wrote these things, and we went and did a demo session and, you know, a demo session for me and most of the rest of us is we have a bunch of, you know, uh, equipment and we kind of potter around on it and sort of make it sound a bit like an orchestra and everybody listens. But a demo session with John is you go into Sony and you record with an 80 piece orchestra. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. So we went for a demo session and uh, everything, they had about six cues and throughout the movie and he had, uh, you know, two, two themes and, and it was all there, and it's just like we all sat there and went, yeah, okay. And so I, once I heard all that, I knew exactly what to do. I mean, it wasn't wow. easy from that point onwards, but I knew exactly. I just felt that I had all of the the stakes in the ground in the right place and everything was in the right shape and, and you know, the colors so, were there. So. 
we all have different parts of this score that we love the most. And I have to say my, you know, my focus is on the romance element of the movie that I felt was undersold in the marketing for the film, but I won't get into the marketing of the movie. But so in, in Solo, we have this version of Han that's like optimistic. Uh, he's a yearner. He's hopeful. And he always feels like something is always going to work out for him until the end of the movie when he gets burned by Lando, burned by Beckett, burned by Kira. And he starts forming into that uh, maybe next time kid or don't hold your breath kid sort of Han Solo we see in the first Star Wars movie that everyone's used to in the Mos Eisley Cantina. So I guess my, my first question about this being that John Williams wrote the theme for Han and you took that and, and ran with it and melded that into your other tracks. How much of this version of Han Solo as a character did you put into the music to make him more of the hopeful guy than the person maybe we're used to being the jaded sort of pirate? That's a, that's a very good question. I'm not... I mean, John wrote two things, really. And so I was invited to go to his place um, where he writes and he's got a piano and, and a you know manuscript paper, really. <laughs> that's all. And he played me these things and... And uh, and the second one, you know, I I sort of he wasn't sure about, and I did say to him, I said, I you know, I know you're only supposed to do one theme, but can we have that one as well? Because that one is, you know, he there there was this very clearly heroic theme for you know, and that was fine. But then this other one, which had more of a movement in it, and and a uh, it kind of had a searching feeling to it. Uh, and that I liked very much because I did think that the, this was what the film was about. It was about sort of, um, you know, uh, the reality, the naivety of a character that we, you know, again, it's it's hard because do you write, do you work on these things, you know, in the context of just the film or do you work on them in the context of the fan sort of um you know, yeah, uh, perspective, yeah, yeah, because everybody the saga knows as a yeah. whole. Well, we, we know where he's going, mm -hmm. um, so there's so there's lots of games that you know you can play with the audience about things. I mean, one of the greatest things about good storytelling is when nobody says what they mean, and we as the audience know sort of truths that don't don't really aren't said subtext you know there's nothing worse than people speaking subtext um and so if you also know where the character is going you you can kind of play with that and so i think it it was about a character who was wonderfully naive at the beginning and even everybody around him except for chewie perhaps uh <laughs> you know, sort of lets him down and and basically you know pushes him into towards this you know the character we know, so we we see this kind of curve happening, um, and I, I just felt that you know we needed certain themes, and yes, you have a heroic theme that was nice and clean. Then there was this yearning theme that John did, and then you know, and, and then I needed other themes to sort of sort of back all of that up and and make sure the story. And one of the most important one was basically the sort of the Kira theme, the having a very romantic, um, yes. you know, and and then it becomes. A question of that was a, a tune that I wasn't sure what it was for until John had had written that before John wrote his, but I didn't know what to do with it quite until I saw that those other two themes and I, once they came along, I, it all just sort of fitted, and then I knew what my themes could do, mm -hmm. and what they needed to do, and how, 
and then yes we we basically just we recorded all of of john's demos with an orchestra but then we weren't allowed to touch that because it was done union and and the film had to be recorded <laughs> in london so then we reprogrammed from the scores and it played in every part and reprogrammed it up within my sort of my you know demo system on all the yeah. instruments as were and it sounded we got it to sound very very close and then from there on was now i had all of his material in my world and i could basically just you know adapt it um, you know work within it work over it you know pull it apart do whatever i needed to do with it and it, it then became sort of part of you know the the raw material as much as well as you know the the cues themselves i think there was maybe one thing that john did uh, to picture out of six that stayed where it was and everything else kind of moved around mainly because the picture was still being cut to, around and also just the th you know how we had to do things the theory of the storytelling changed a, a bit after he'd done all of these demos wow okay Man. so i i i and lacy and james have a ton of questions but you just brought yeah. the romance part so <laughs> let me get my my last main one out of the way here um regarding han and kira which i feel like um if they had amped that up more in the trailers um it would have benefited the movie um it sounds like you approached this as a romance um almost or or a, a tragic romance in a way um because i'm focusing on the track uh when they're reunited on the uh on dryden voss's ship and also at the end when she departs and he kind of watches her leaving uh, like the music you put in there, the very solemn tones. It's almost sounds like the other version, but sadder. It, it sounds like Gone with the Gone with the Wind. Sounds a little bit like Meryl Streep's Out of Africa. Uh, it has that like uh, romance, but also with like this sadness and trepidation to it. Um, so, can you just get into how your approach to that Kira Han theme and 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 wanted to do you know maybe a little optimism but a little bit of trepidation like where did you find the balance and did you have any inspiration for those tracks because to me those are the two like hit you right in the chest tracks uh in the score which by the way unbelievable and thank you <laughs> well the two the, the moment I kind of I wanted to really make work first of all was the, them being torn away from each other at the at the kind of the airport i can't remember what it's called spaceport yeah. um so i i played around with things and then once i made it work there i was comfortable that it was it, it felt like it had a sort of a level of kind of um you know again so inspirational wise you know there's so much great music which is about heartbreak <laughs> you know <laughs> you think about it and john has done some amazing amazing pieces but you know catch a Turian, there's if you listen to um you know uh spartacus uh, or the guyan valley uh, there's um there's some things that just sort of have this what the you know what do they call it the it's sort of the the beautiful death of of um of, of love you know the realization that like you know oh, man. it's 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 the equivalent of pumping heroin into you and you know and being hit with a baseball bat and and then, <laughs> and then having your bank account um flush with money and then the next day having it having everything stolen again so right you know those 
emotional things that we all go through in a sort of common universality about love and relationships are, you know, are both fundamental uh, to the existence of mankind and and phenomenally kind of indulgent of us. We love doing it because it, it because it feels good because it hurts and it feels good and it hurts and, and etc. And so there's there's kind of a microcosm of of life itself in love affairs and and you know like everybody we've all gone through that you know and I think that was the story for me it was like a guy who um, he was just going through the things in life that would you know make him stronger you know and you could say i mean i don't like the idea really that he's just a tarnished you know kind of uh, you know uh, sort of ruined optimist actually i just think he's realistic later in life mm-hmm. and you know because he doesn't he doesn't become weak later in life you know whatever you say up front doesn't mean that's not necessarily your character. That's just a protection mechanism. Sure. I think I think the real character, you know, if you really want to get into heroes and how we sort of try and sort of project or we see projected on ourselves, you know, he is the, an ultimate hero. He does go through with things. And if all the things he says to protect himself in this kind of very normal and very shallow way that we do, are all in there and that's what makes part of the fun of a character like that so for me it was it was just trying to you know that was the one thing i i thought i i could try and do and obviously you know there's lots of great sort of themes in film music but there's also great themes in classical music and um i probably stole from john all through my career unknowingly <laughs> and tried to steal from John in when when I'm doing you know solo and then even then when I probably didn't realize I was stealing from John I probably was stealing so it's <laughs> you know the um there's the subconscious thing of it yeah it's in there I mean nobody writes any music nobody composes any music nobody invents mm-hmm. music you just process all the music you've ever heard yeah and if you're lucky it comes out in a new way um i mean even john's music you can you could probably chip away and find the 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 seeds and the and the roots of things and i mean some are more obvious than every composer but some are probably you know you could look at like a you know a, a three chord sequence that he's done and say, okay, well, that comes from Elgar, but the melody you can see is in Mendelssohn, sure, but sure. also, <laughs> you know, but then the rhythm underneath it is, is, uh, you know, that's, that's Count Basie. <laughs> so, you know, you can, you can sort of see all everybody's, if you really want to look, you can, you can see everybody's kind of, I call them mut- musical fetishes, these things that we've mm-hmm. loved so much at any point in your life. And there's ones, you know, that, you know, I remember leaving Vienna on a train, having had my heart broken. You know, and oh my god! But and and it was. I think I I remember listening on headphones to things. What a beautiful place, by the way, to have your heart broken. Oh yeah, 
Absolutely. And it, <laughs> not it, to make that downplay your terrible story, but, <laughs> no, but it's just like I, such a sweeping tale. Like oh, I was leaving Vienna. <laughs> you weren't on Long Island, John. Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I, I, I will always, I mean, that's one of the things I remember on the train leaving going, you know, this is going to be a great story in a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it was, I was listening to, I think, um, believe it or not, Malcolm, uh, what's his name? Um, who used to run the, the, Sex Pistols, Malcolm McLaren. It was like that's right. He'd done this kind of album of of opera <laughs> with oh Dana, a bunch of opera songs, uh, opera arias and things like that. It, the the his first album, which was Duck Rock, which is absolutely a genius album with Trevor Horn and and team and uh, in that. But the second one was good as well. There was a few amazing tracks, and one of them was, and it was Puccini. It was it was something by Puccini, and uh, you know, sort of, and it it. It really screws with the Puccini, but I didn't care because it seemed to have this kind of brilliant mix of of these two worlds, this overly passionate sort of music as well as a, this kind of driving, um, you know, sort of pop sensibility. And so I think, I think you know, a, that's a little kind of microcosm probably of what I've always been trying to do in film. <laughs> wow. Well, geez. Yeah, Lacey, I know you have, um, changing gears, you have certain parts of this score that, you absolutely love. I know yes. you want to get into. So my favorite song on the soundtrack is Chicken in a Pot, which is, I feel like, a lot of fans' favorite song. It's one of those ones that just sticks out and it gets in your head and you're humming it like days later, weeks later, a year later, it's in your head. I know you spoke with StarWars.com a little bit about it, about how Luleo Primak, the guy in the little jar, is what inspired the name of the song and what the song's about. But can you talk about writing that song? Because it is very different, I feel, than the rest of the movie. Yeah, well, that was one of the that was the first thing that was done, um, uh, and it was, you know, it it was it was Lord Miller, the, the you know the original directors who were who you know asked me to do some music for two scenes, and one one uh, one never made it, and and that one did remain. So um, I wrote a bunch of things. Um, and you know what they were going through a sort of a right churn, you know a, a rather terrible time obviously trying to trying to get the film <laughs> as we were doing sure. that so i don't think they really were thinking about it too much so by the time that it all the dust settled and it started up again um you know ron howard was like he was he 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 very kindly sort of kept me on board and and then the first thing that came up was oh in by the way, in three days we're shooting this thing. Have you got have you got anything? So I kind of went back immediately over all the work I'd done, all the things I'd done, and I you know I found I found a few things and send them, and and they picked that one. Um, I love it so yeah. much. It has this kind of like James Bondy feel to it, and it just sets the scene and the whole tone of it's what's fun. to come. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I I want to ask you a question though. And this this is kind of a controversy between me and Lacey because we both have different opinions. What's the story with the high voice in one version and the low voice in the other version? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, what happens is, <laughs> believe it or not, it takes longer to put out a soundtrack than it does to finish a film. Um, so you can be dubbing a film until very, very late in the day, and you can... Uh, there's a thing called the print master and the print master is the end of the dub. And by the time the print master happens, everything has to be finished. But until then, it's amazing what you can 
sneak in at the last minute. So <laughs> uh, up until very late in the day, it was the high voice. Um, and and then we got to the dub and the, we'd finished the album and the album had gone off. And then days after that, maybe even weeks, I can't remember, you know, we got very near the end of the dub and, and Ron called me and goes, do you think you could, I'm not sure about the small voice on the thing. Maybe we could try the opposite. So I then got in a bass singer, uh, Reed, who's an amazing bass uh, singer. And we, and we did it again. And I sent that over to the dub just real quick. What do you think? Just love it. And then it's in <laughs> master and it's on the screen. And that's how these things work. So I love it. You don't get a chance <laughs> so to really go back and call the record company who have now printed yeah. You know yeah. the the soundtrack, so you don't get a chance to do that. So it just stayed as it was for the moment until we did the deluxe version, and then you know we, we got to yeah. put that on as well. So so my yeah. question is, do you have a preference? Because I know me and Lacey have preferences between the two. Which, which one would I don't you think say? I you should prefer? say because uh, I think it'll hurt somebody if I say so. Oh. <laughs> say it. Say it. Well, okay, even more. If you really want to get to the minutia of it, it used to be in a different language. Uh, it was written in a different <laughs> language that I found online, um, which I it thought was Satis, right? Uh, I can't remember. No, now. I think that's what it is now. Oh, it yes. is. Yes, it was Got originally it. something different. Yes, it was originally something different, uh, like um, <sighs> I can't, I can't remember. But another one, and then we got. So as we got close to finishing the movie, they they called me and said, "So what's this language?" And I, I. I said, oh, I just found, I found it online, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, that sounds like a story group thing. I don't know. If... Yeah, you, you know, people. And so, uh, which one was it? I can't remember. So they, they said, oh, well, we need to make sure it's one of the languages that we can, we have. Oh, so, yeah. so, so then we get a call. Then, uh, you know, a linguistic expert com comes and he, and he sort of converted it from one language into another as close as he could That's and then crazy. then I got that back and then I I did the session again so it <clears throat> the, actually my favorite version is the high voice but not the high voice you've ever heard it's the high voice uh, that we did for the in the original language, which is even so. Similar. We're neither oh, of us are right. Yeah. <laughs> it. What I, a diplomat! I am absolutely high voice. I think uh, I, I don't know why, but like it just sticks out to me as just being more interesting musically. And then Lacey's team low voice, the one that actually makes it into the movie, because of um, the character and who the character represents yeah, and who Pablo yeah, yeah, yeah. named him after, it makes sense that it's the lower voice. Yeah, it looks like a guy who smokes cigarettes when he's not in the jar. Yeah, <laughs> but you remember and remember that piece was done, and and the words were all done by me after just getting a few pieces of artwork, and it really, really it. did look like a chicken. So that's <laughs> that's that's so funny. That is so funny that that how that's so. Do you did you have any communication with the writers in terms of um, Lawrence and John Kazan and them saying, you know, this is what we're going for with Han or this is how we want Han and Chewie's relationship to be developed? Is there, did you have any communication with the writers at all or was it mainly you oh. with the director? How, how, how's that go? Yeah. It, it's the the writers are, are rare, unless they're an executive producers or directors themselves, you, you know, music rarely... You, you rarely get to, I got to meet them and I, I, it was lovely to meet them because I, you know, I really want, I mean, John is great, but you know, also meeting Larry, Larry was incredible. Um, yeah. Later on after we finished the movie and 
But no, what happens is it tends to be directors and the editors are very important for post-production for, for the music. So that's basically who, you know, I kind of interface with most of the time. Okay, so um, you you said you worked with Lord and Miller. Um, did they really s- set the trajectory of what this movie was going to be like sonically um, because of John Williams being early on writing the theme? Or when Ron Howard com- came in, did that change uh, the direction of things? It seems like it was very fluid. Uh, so um, can you give a comparison on, on both situations? Well, John was certainly... Uh, Kathleen Kennedy... I think basically at the very beginning had said, you know, let's get somebody that you're comfortable with to Lord Miller, you know, those guys you're comfortable with, but I think we should get John to come in and, and do a theme, you know, and they were okay with that. So when they interviewed me and I, I talked to them about it, they, you know, they asked me, well, what do you think of that? And I said, it's a brilliant idea because that's going to be able to, we're then going to be able to have some DNA and we can work outwards from there as to with, because we didn't, you know, remember these things don't exist until they exist so at the beginning everybody's just talking and pointing and that's about it until (laughs) it actually happens and you look at it you go okay well i don't know whether this is the right way up whether it's too long too short too high too colored this way you know and then you keep adjusting it as you start to see it and and so everything they did you know was was very inspiring and i was very you know, I was I was very much pursuing their ideas, but we didn't have anything to do with John really until that all changed. And then John came on after about four months after Ron came on. Um, so I'd had a bit of time to talk to Ron about things, but again, the the you know the the movie wasn't really settling down until quite late in the day, as you can imagine, because it it it, right. it changed a lot. Um, <laughs> so everybody was, you know. Everybody was very uh, cool about that. But, you know, I'd say it's very hard to say what I... I've always wondered, well, what would I have written if if we, you know, if they had made the movie? Um, You know, and I I loved... I've loved so many of their projects. And and then after doing the movie with them, uh, you know, after doing that movie a little bit with them and then moving on to Ron. And then I saw Spider-Man <laughs> that they'd done. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's and, brilliant. Yeah, and yeah. Da- Daniel Pemberton's a friend of mine, and he'd done yeah. the music. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. I mean, so they go to different places. They they definitely go to a different place. It would have been interesting to see where we'd gone. But um, it, it it was one of those things where I, I I sort of, I was lucky enough to sort of stay. I think, I think, Ron probably called hands as soon as he cut, as soon as he got the gig. I said, "Do you want Zimmer?" To-? Yeah, because he'd always worked with him, and 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 um, you know, and he he basically called hands and said, "Do you want to do a Star Wars film?" And hands said, "Great." And then, <laughs> well, this is the story. Oh, right? no. And then and then and then I think Ron realized that they'd already hired a composer, and probably <laughs> said, "Well, you know, we're going to have to pay him if you don't want him." So, so he he called. Hands and and hands, hands said, I'm really sorry, but they've already hired a composer, and it's John Powell. And Hands for the, you know, this is one of those things. This is right. Everybody loves, you know, we all love him. Is like he turned around and goes, Oh, Johnny, you'll be great. He'll be fine with Johnny. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> so that's it. Might wow. be apocryphal, but I still owe the keeping the gig to Hands. I think so. 
That's cool. So, so to be clear, it wasn't a situation where Ron Howard's like, "Let me get rid of this guy." He, just, he been, wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't aware that they had a composer in place. It, even if he was aware, I mean, I think you know, it's his right, you know, to say, "Okay, well, you know, I need some people of mine around me to get comfortable with these things." And so, mm-hmm. if he if he'd walked in and said, "Look, I really need to do it with hands," I would have completely understood. It's, mm-hmm. You know, that's not something you, you know, I he. He uh, he was very magnanimous about sort of keeping me, and I and I really sort of made sure I, I worked as hard as I could to make sure he he felt that I was um, okay, you know I was valuable as well. Well, I'm so glad that they did because oh perfection. my god, your yeah. soundtrack I mean, is perfection. Right here, oh yeah, yeah, I have that too. <laughs> cool, yeah. I got the Mondo News version. Yeah. Uh, the first LP I've bought, besides hand-me-downs from my parents, it's uh, I bought a record player just for that. So, oh, really? um, James, <clears throat> I know you're a big fan of the Emphis Nest music, so I'm sure you mm-hmm. have stuff you want to dig at John about uh, regarding that, right? I mean, I, like you were mentioning earlier something, and I was like, I think he's touching on something that really stuck out to me, and I think you, in the way you were describing uh, how you put things together, I think it kind of. Uh, hits the same way I kind of felt about it and I didn't really know how to describe it. So like, for instance, one, one of my favorite, like sp- very specific moments is um, Han coming around the corner and seeing the Falcon for the first time. And there's this new version of the familiar Star Wars theme that plays, but it's very angelic and choir heavy and stuff, which, um, you know, I think what John was alluding to is I love the Emphis Nest stuff, like all the, the heavy uh, choir stuff really hits hard for me personally. But there's something about that scene that I think isn't just like, it isn't just like, hey, you know, let's play Han's theme here because it's, you know, Han and the the Falcon and blah, 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 blah. I think there's something that's like, this is bigger than this story. You know, we're witnessing this thing from the entire saga. And if Star Wars as a whole is ever hitting its biggest moments there's something magical happening here that's bigger than the moment it's it's the it's franchise heavy um and that's why i felt like that music being used there very specifically at that point was absolutely perfect and is like my number one moment in the soundtrack is it difficult to is it difficult to um i know we talked a little bit about john specifically but like all this other music i know there's there's these little like hints and 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 little moments of other music that have popped up in the franchise is it interesting to be writing your own stuff and then being like right here at this moment i'm gonna go you know and like put in like three or four notes that everybody's gonna be familiar with um and trying to balance that like kira with the dice where she hands the dice to han yeah. I mean, oh, looking yeah. at Rogue One, for instance, I walked out of that movie and I said, eh, it doesn't feel, the music wasn't Star Warsy enough. And then over time, I'm like, no, they did it exactly right. And then when I saw Solo, I'm like, yes, this is the perfect blend. Um, how do you find that balance? Well, it was funny that the use of the all the old material was kind of, um, was an interesting uh, puzzle. But but then I suddenly realized that, you know, a lot of those themes, especially, you know, the theme for the Millennium Falcon, it's it's really about destiny. So you can so I treated those older themes as 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 destiny themes, uh, as I you know, normally you'd write your own destiny theme for, you know, for these kind of epic storytelling moments and you would follow it all the way through the movie and it would perhaps, you know, 
bloom into something else. Uh, I didn't need that because I had this other material which basically told us the destiny of the character, which is a, and it's it's because we're, you know, it's about we all know the destiny of the character, so it's something mm-hmm. that we can share. So I was very very careful about how I used those themes, and and you know, the moment you were talking about was was very clear. It's like this isn't. It's not a magical vehicle. It's a piece of shit <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> so why was why was it sounding like that? Because it was his destiny. That's what you know. Well, not, not so, Landis Falcon. Landis Falcon's awesome. Yes, <laughs> He's got yeah. a web bar. Yeah. It was it was still not. The, the, there's no significance to that machine except yeah. the destiny of yeah. the characters. So um, if we. If we didn't know, if this was just some other spaceship, we came around the corner, you know, I mean, there's, for instance, one of the great pieces of film music of all time is Jerry Goldsmith, the very first Star Trek. And so there's about five minutes (laughs) of, of this model, you know, and industrial light and magic, I think did it. And it looks amazing for the time where it was, you know, 78, um, and they shot that model and it looks giant. It really looks giant. And but I can tell you that wouldn't work if it wasn't for that music, which basically told you the whole destiny. Even even though he wasn't really using the Star Star Trek tune, he was making this incredible it's an incredible piece of music. It's 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 you know, right. even mm-hmm. you know, Debussy would be and Ravel would be impressed with that. And it and it what you get out of that is you get a you get a kind of a, you get this kind of relig- religiosity about about the fable, about the the destiny sure. of everybody, and so that was my own little. I mean, in a very small way, I was doing a Jerry Goldsmith thing. Infus Nest is me doing a, a. I'm basically that's my version of of doing John Williams. I mean, I was literally trying to do sort of the. Um, the fates, you know, music from oh yeah, from, duel, the like, duel the fates from number one, you know, yeah, and, and and remember listening to that, and it's so wonderfully aggressive, and the choral writing and the thing. So that's me doing my version of that piece. I know it doesn't sound the same, and and the and the, it's got a lot more percussion, and it's got Bulgarian yeah. singing as opposed to classical singing, but it's the it's me sort of homaging john ironically that's amazing yeah i love that the, the emphasis stuff is my favorite mu- music i mean the one thing that i was talking about earlier is my favorite like moment very specific thing but the emphasis stuff anytime it comes up i'm just like oh my gosh this is this is the best stuff on here it's Turn so it good <laughs> yeah yeah that, that, the irony is that it does feel like that's kind of me being much more me but i am still very much doing an impression of john <laughs> uh, well, just that, so not coming out the same it comes out via mm-hmm. my own particular set of weirdnesses uh, yeah i feel like this score touches on all of that because you'll you took the imperial march which is one of the most recognizable star wars themes and you flipped it to make it that so that the empire comes across as the good guys and it has this very jovial come join the empire and save the galaxy kind of tonations to it like signing up for the army and it's in the background on that chaotic scene. So when you, I'm sure that took a lot of effort to to kind of flip that dark menacing, here's Darth Vader's wrestling entrance music theme and turn it into this sort of like jovial come join the empire and it's just in the background. Was that kind of like, you were like, ah, 
I kind of spent a lot of time on that. It's in the background, but it's really a very cool track. No, that's a, that's <laughs> that's 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 a very very last minute gag, really. Um, that was it's so good, though. We, we were in London. Oh my god, it's amazing. We were in Is London. Is that something that you you worked on, or is that something that existed beforehand? No, no, I I, I kind of. So if you you have to know John Williams' music to know that he's a big fan of Elgar. All right. So so then if you want to look geopolitically at it and you can say the empire, you can also say the British Empire. And the British I've had a particular problem with the British Empire. <laughs> Not as many problems as the millions of people who are killed by them. Um but you know it, it's it's one of those things where in the background, I, I love Elgar and you watch the last night at the proms and they do land of hope and glory. And it's a stirring piece of music that is kind of sort of a terrible, a terrible thing that we have stirred our kind of our nationalistic sort of fervors with for so long that I was making a kind of a, anti-British Empire joke <laughs> and knowing that John Williams is a big fan of Elgar and that everybody says, you know, that particular tune comes from here and here and here and, and a bunch of Russians. And then I thought, well, what, I wonder if that could be made, flip, made it into, into his other love, uh, you know, which is Elgar. Uh, oh, wow. And so I sat down at the piano while we were actually recording. Um, I wasn't here and, you know, it was one of those things that just came up with, you know, have we got anything for that little section there? You know, and it was really just a que an innocent question, I think, from the editor and everybody. It's like, and I, I thought, well, I could probably do something. So I just sketched something very briefly out. And then my orchestrator, uh, John Ashton Thomas, who's another English guy I was at, I was at college with in music college like that. I said, we can, we can, yeah, we can really make this Elgar, can't we? And he looked, and he looked, he looked at it. So I worked out a few chord sequence things and I just put the tune on and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we, he, an hour later, we just put it in front of the orchestra and they played it through and that was it. It was like. Did you was, send it to John? Were you like, I wink, wink, wink? didn't at the time. And I sort of regretted that because it, it got, it got the first album release was going to have that as a little kind of thing at the very end and um and he heard it and said what the hell is that can you play that <laughs> oh my god we took so it off funny. the album so for the, oh. the for the deluxe version i i did i did sort of call and and say you know if john doesn't want it on there that's fine it's a little it was a little gag and he once he saw it in he hadn't seen it at that it's point brilliant. in context of the film. When he saw it, I think he liked it. And then, then right. fine. But at the time, again, because the album was finished before the film was finished. So I couldn't really give him any sort of explanation as to why it was there. But, but oh, it's so brilliant. Because so. it's in story. It's like that that's their recruiting music. And it's so funny to me. Like, yeah, I love but, that. but it, you know, you could have probably got away with anything. That was That's a very inside little joke that. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It is. And that was pretty um, indulgent. That was me indulging. <laughs> I, know, I know, you know, we probably don't have too much more of your time. So, um, we, you know, we have to ask you, obviously, you know, I wanted to bring you on because I know you use the hashtag make solo to happen. Uh, John, John Kasdan has not been shy about saying that the plan was for more than one movie. Obviously, the first movie ends with Han and Chewie going to Jabba's palace. That so was probably going to set up the second movie of them working for Jabba. He said he has the stories for it. 
Were, were you in talks of, hey, you know, this might turn into multiple films. Were you just on for this one film? Can you shed any light on that? And also your passion, obviously, for you know potentially continuing this story and maybe ideas you have about music for the Han Solo that has been spurned by so many people at the end of the first film. <laughs> well, I was definitely only hired for one. Um, there was no real, at least not for me, there was no discussion of, of you know, anything else other than, you know, other than you know that I've done a few um, things where the sequels, if you know, if you do well on the first one, and the, and they want to bring you back on the sequel, it, it's it's it can be great fun. Obviously, the Bourne films and the Dragon and things like that. Sure, um, I would have, and I was quite convinced it was a very good film. I didn't have any thoughts that it wouldn't work at all for people, and I mean it did work for people just not to the same extent that all the other star wars things go i mean why it doesn't work i mean why it didn't get such a good reception is obviously there's different answers and and i mean i don't really know what the real one is it, the interesting thing about the film is it's the only one that until sort of mandalorian in a way that didn't have any uh, religious you know force mm-hmm. um and it make, made me realize that the importance of that kind of, of, of this sort of, um, of that element of the original films. And we weren't there. We were just a, we we're a caper movie. We were just, we were very much outside that. We were an atheist film. Right. In, in a, in a very religious world. Um, <clears throat> and I, I felt that, you know, also the timing of everything I think was just, just and, and knowing that everyone had killed themselves to try and get it done, you know, right. for why we did, if we just relaxed a bit and waited a bit, I think it would have done better, but it really is. I think that's the thing. It's a, it's an atheist version of, you know, and he always, you know, he, Han always, you know, poo pooed the force and everything else like that. So right. you know, it has right. that elements of it. And, you know, so it was closer to doing the Italian job in a really, for me. I was about to say that. Yeah. It's like a Star Wars Italian job. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was. And I, and we really did treat it that way. And, you know, and it, it's interesting to see if another, if another one was made, it would, I'm not quite sure. You know, obviously, I think the Mandalorian has been so really wonderful the way it's kind of opened up the language or the, I don't know, the open up the world. I mean, obviously... I'm not. I'm. I've never read any of the graphic novel versions of anything, mm-hmm. I just of any type whatsoever. Um, so I don't really know the world outside of the films. Uh, and then along comes the Mandalorian, and that seems to kind of like smash through the doors and and you know open a whole yeah. different side of it. So I yeah. thought that was interesting. So that could, at some point, you know, it might all circle back to you know making this work again. But I can see that in the in the projection. The, pro- the projection of how things were working at the time, I could see why they would have cut that one off and not gone for that. In the same way that they're really trying to figure out what the next films will be, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, well, I'm intrigued to see as much as anybody is. Yeah, and we're big fans of continuing it either movie or TV show. Now that they have The Mandalorian and all these other series coming to Disney+, Plus. would yeah. you ever consider doing a TV show soundtrack for Star Wars? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, you know... The thing is that uh, TV shows are really interesting. I I I, mm-hmm. I I love watching them more than I love scoring them. <laughs> scoring them is really hard because it's hours, yeah, hours lot. of music. Sure, a lot of music. And Ludwig has just taken it in such a different way that's been so exciting because it isn't 
uh, kind of the challenge where you had, where you were trying to fit John Williams stuff in and making sure it sounded like Star Wars. He's done something completely different. So it must be something that you see that you're like, oh, that's really exciting. That's completely different. Yeah, no, it, it was it was it was a really really good job. I I do like what he's done. There's like one episode where something went wrong and you can hardly hear the music. <laughs> it's like oh dear, it's like somebody had a really director in a bad mood for that one. But um, everything else is really elegantly done and beautifully done, and and you know it's very creative and obviously it's it's sort of closer to Morricone than it is John Williams you know that and that's the interesting thing about it and and what it and there was elements, only a name I remember I recognize yeah <laughs> and, and, and there was elements of solo that where they were saying to me you know you know treat him a bit like a gunslinger you know a, this is a bit more yeah. that was one of the things that they kept saying is a bit more like a western this you know um and and then when I saw the Mandalorian I thought well that's a much that's a very elegantly done version of that. I, I would never have gone that far. Yeah, there you go. I, I would never have gone that far because I probably felt that, you know, I didn't see all of that coming at all. I didn't know. I mean, none of us did. You know, to be fair. So yeah, it, it's interesting yeah. to see what Solo could be. But I think as it, as the rest of the world kind of of that world changes and you know and we and everything will kind of coalesce back. It could be that Solo finds its place again, you know, and I hope it does. I, you know, Hopefully. we we started the, we, me, you know, the three of us joked around. We're like, it would be so funny. We made a t-shirt that said, make Solo 2 happen because it was about a couple months after the movie came out and it was all about how it didn't do well at the box office. And it just kind of caught fire with people. And, you know, I wore this shirt to New York Comic Con and I'm getting high fives by like everybody. And they're like, that movie deserved way better. It was so good. It was so great. People love your score. I, I think it would have been nominated for an Academy Award if it was submitted, in my opinion. I thought it, it's brilliant. Oh, that's uh, a big story. <laughs> I want to hear that. I want to hear that story. But but in other words, we, we did it as a... So we, we felt like it was a Star Wars movie that needed to be rooted for. And it has caught fire. It's been trending worldwide. It's so since 2018, when it didn't do well, like you say... Uh, it's grown in popularity. And how many people have we seen say, man, I wish I saw that in the theater. Man, I should have given that a chance. And it's, it's grown more and more. It's in my top three Star Wars movies. It, yeah, we hear the, that So the, the momentum the is comment, there with fans. Yeah, the sure. top comment on the YouTube video that I saw, it's, it's on YouTube movies. The top comment was, I'm glad I didn't listen to all the negative stuff around it and I rented this movie because it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't see it in a theater, saw it later, loved it. It's like missed opportunity that, you know. So what's this Oscar story? <laughs> oh, I can't possibly tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, John. We've, we've become such good friends over the last hour. I'm nuts now. <laughs> All right, you know what, guys? Forget it. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, no, so, yeah, it'd be, it's great to know that you are uh, on board to do more, even if they do uh, task you with the arduous task of doing it via a TV series. But... I've, we all feel like it's just set up on a platter. So many people are like, oh, I'd love to see Job of the Hutt again. And it's like, oh, would you? Because Han and Chewie are on their way there <laughs> right now. Um, Alden Ehrenreich has expressed interest. Jonas Sotomo was on, the guy who plays Chewbacca was on our podcast last year, told us to keep going with this hashtag. Ron Howard's on board. John Kazan said he has the stories. It seems like even Robert Doe, I think, has used the, the hashtag. So I, everybody seems to be on board. It's just a matter of, I guess, convincing them to to shifting the mediums because as ron howard said he doesn't think a theatrical film would be realistic at this point but like you said the new door has been kicked open via this disney plus thing so a lot of avenues are possible so um is there anything that you would want to say to to our fans 
about uh because we have a rabid passionate fan base about solo so about um you know the potential future or 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 your your well wishes about it or anything you'd like to say to our audience about solo no i'd 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 work with you know i'd work with these characters again because i now you know (laughs) that's one of the things about doing second third films is like now i understand them it took me a long time to sort of figure it all out it, it sounds like i knew what i was doing well explain it now but it, it didn't at the time it's praxis afterwards you can go back and you go oh i see what i was doing now i understand at the time it was just like a, a how do we make this work what's going on what it really is the story what should i be doing it was all just a big cloud of sort of um you know unknowns at the time you go through that process you get to the end of you sort of start to figure it out everything kind of sort of solidifies in your brain the greatest thing is then to carry on and do the next one because now you know where you're going and and you have a language you know you have a language so i'd love to do it from that perspective but that you know it is important that new things start i mean that's that we're Mm -hmm. in an industry that really a lot of our energy should really be made to start things you know and create things and literally nothing happened there's nothing there and then there's something you know mm-hmm. and that's the, the that moment of creation is the fun bit you know for everybody and certainly is for me when i you know so i i i hope i'd love to also do it would be fascinating to do something from this world where it really does come out of you know left field and, and but the thing to remember is that you know, it's a, for a film composer, it's the hardest sort of idea is to try and come up with something as good and as um, sort of iconic as, as John Williams has on any of his films, mm-hmm. but that one being particularly kind of the spiciest of all all those things. So it was it was a it was a headache I gave myself, and I and I enjoyed not just not dying you know with the process <laughs> so i i feel it probably was good for me in all sorts of ways but i i i now feel that you know my my time and energy left should be trying to spend should still be spent trying to make something as good as the original again yeah. you know it's it's wonderful to sort of come walk into something where i got to play in that world and actually see if i could push it in in a new direction or or sort of absorb or you know sort of be, be honorable to it but again i really should be trying to spend my time creating something as unique as john had you know so wow so in in your in your heart right now your gut instinct do you think we see han and chewie back in star wars with alden and Jonas? Yes, I, I think I think so, but not for a few years. I don't think, and I'm, I I really have no idea. But it, it would make yeah. sense for them. I would have thought also, you know. I mean, I, I'm sure I'll do it, you know, unless it's really so long that I am dead or something. But even, <laughs> oh, stop it, with this John! But, Come on uh, now, you're not in Vienna anymore. You're not uh, in Vienna anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is, I I I would love to know whether or not he will let her break break his heart again because that oh, there's certain man. relationships that, that you know just that's what happens and is uh, he is he gonna be is he gonna be that guy <laughs> they gotta do this just so we hear more of your music my god oh. interesting to well speak. 
if it happens. Uh, so, yeah, our last thing, obviously, uh, I don't know how dialed in you are with social media. I know you're on Instagram, but a couple of years ago, Lacey was like, guys, this thing is so popular right now. We have to dedicate a day to it. So her idea was to make a dedicated day to it. So we did a Make Solo 2 Happen Day in 2019. It ranked number one on trending. Uh, make, hashtag Make Solo 2 Happen. We did it again last year. I'm doing it once more this year on May 24th, uh, where we're going to blow this thing up and do hashtag Make Solo 2 Happen. We're, we're hoping at this point, now we're getting a little like Han Solo cocky about it. We're hoping it's still at the top of the charts. Uh, but we're going to make sure if they eventually do, where we don't need to use hashtag makes it all to happen, we make sure that John Powell is the maestro when they do do it. <laughs> also, sorry in advance if people spam you on that day. That's what <laughs> maybe we're, I'm so sorry. We're trying to think what we could sort of share on that day that really, really would uh, blow everyone's minds. That third version of Chicken in a Pot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, yeah. There's, there's, there's the other song from, um, you know, from the... Where the where the the card game was, there was a whole scene. Oh in yeah, I yeah. love that yeah, card yeah. game. Whole yeah, but there was a whole yeah. other scene with with a band. Oh, wow, there was a band. Uh, there was a band, like yeah. a cantina band. Yeah, kind of different. What? Kind of different. What? Robbed. I should have said that. <laughs> John, May twenty fourth. Share whatever you want to share. Okay. Make, let's do this thing. All right. Hashtag makes a little too. Where happen. can people yeah. find you? Where yeah, find me uh, in all retailers. No, um, <laughs> I don't know what they can... Mondo News. Sam yes. Goody? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Radio Shacks. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, musically, I'm on all digital blah blahs. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but personally, you won't find me, I hope, because I will be hiding. just like you like it um john thank you really so much for taking the time uh we know you're obviously very busy um but we hope to maybe revisit with you down the road if things start getting in motion Uh, we really appreciate you supporting more solo we hope there is so we hope you we see you once again in a galaxy far far away and uh good luck with your other future projects and also congrats recently on your recent award for call of the wild i saw you recently won a um a composition uh, award for that so uh congratulations but uh, you're like i've won so many awards i don't remember kind if of working but... with han again <clears throat> yeah. yeah a little harrison yeah. ford yeah. yeah yeah but uh yeah thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it So there it is. There was our interview with John Powell, the composer of Solo, A Star Wars Story. We told you. We told you. <laughs> we told you you're going to like it. Um, any any last words uh, about this before we get out of here? I love him. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. He's the best. He's Classic Gillerin. Classic Um No, I think he, he opened a lot of mystery doors. You know what I mean? I think obviously everybody's really interested in the- Oh yeah, so many hinting things. Yeah, yeah, the the other scenes that didn't happen in these movies and stuff. And um, I know that the the special edition, deluxe edition of the soundtrack had more music on it than even was, you know, time in the movie. So we knew there was like additional stuff that they worked on that never quite made it there. But, you know, he kind of hinted at some of these things and just very, very- cool stuff um from him and yeah um i i would i think he's the guy you know i mean definitely to come back and revisit as he was touching at the end there yes yeah and he you know he touched on you know working with lord miller versus working with ron howard and that's a as an area that a lot of people have Mm -hmm. not uh broached and you know he isn't under the 
uh, banner now, so he can probably speak more freely as sort of like a you know independent contractor, if you will. He's on his own volition here. But that was um, like crazy. I feel like because there's so much secrecy about it, people are like, "Oh my gosh, what happened?" Exactly. Kind of just like, yeah. Hey, it didn't work out. So here's what yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, I really love his optimism uh, that they're gonna turn this thing around. He he sees he's like, yeah, I think so, but it's probably gonna be a couple of years. Like he said it as though like, hey, yeah, yeah. Casual. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to touch like too much on it when when we were actually in the interview. I was like, "Oh wow, that's that's new information to me." But Hans Zimmer was this close to doing a Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I didn't. Did, was that out there? I didn't know that. That's well. I think I think that's been in previous interviews with John mm-hmm. Powell because it's a it's a funny story because that's Ron Howard's guy. You know, everyone, you know Tim Burton with Danny Elfman. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their mm-hmm. their person, their composer. Mm-hmm. Their guy, yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. But I, uh, you know, another takeaway from this is um. A lot of the things he talked about is going to make me enjoy this movie more now. Uh, mm-hmm. Understanding why he wrote certain things and and how he approached it as a love story. Uh, which is so funny because remember Clayton Sandell, like way back when they were yeah. promoting the movie, had said like I think it was a missed opportunity that they didn't sell this as this love story between Han and Kira in the trailers. And he's so right because then you have the composer right there saying like I saw this as like this set tragic love story in a way, um, and and just how he's you know Lacey him talking to you about the chicken in the pot story is unbelievable, and the Enfys nest turns out being a tribute to Duel of the Fates. Because of the Gregorian chants, and you know how you know how he looked at Chewie as the main like cog of who knew what he was doing, as opposed to all the other characters. Just all of his insights into this, uh, it just wow. This is one I'm gonna go back and watch. Like I don't like to watch our stuff a lot, but man, what a what a great chat! And I hope he comes back on the show. I was geeking hard for chicken yeah. pot. <laughs> like right, right. I was waiting right. there being like, when is my moment to ask this question? <laughs> but I mean, most importantly, we hope he comes back and, and does more solo. Mm-hmm. And like like we like we told him, the minute they announced that they're bringing it back, we're starting a a new hashtag. Make sure John Powell is holding the conductor's wand. <laughs> yeah. But um uh, amazing and you know let us know share this episode with a friend uh we have we got a star wars composer on the show a live action star wars film composer on the show we we're so thankful for john uh for joining us so thank you john uh but be sure to share this with a friend who likes star wars especially solo fans uh like the video leave a comment whatever you got to do pump this out there because we're really proud of uh this and uh thank you all for listening and watching make sure you do subscribe to our podcast of course you can do that on any podcast app spotify's uh, our personal favorite i believe also you have apple podcasts podbean soundcloud amazon music google play we're everywhere so if we're not let us know of course our channel as well uh, side YouTube.com. note it's super cool that john powell has a this is john powell soundtrack list on spotify i know yeah, that's he's, like he's not a big deal to him i was like yeah. you have a playlist from spotify right. <laughs> he's right. like so you if, can find yeah. me on spotify and i'm like us too right, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> not the same um <laughs> our channel youtube.com slash star wars news net videos make sure you do subscribe we appreciate everyone who's been joining us there and enjoying the uh the video format and this is one of those episodes if you are listening to the audio version maybe check out the video version if you want to see the three of us geeking out uh, big and time. you see his off, like his stories. work area. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, next, of course, always go to StarWarsNewsNet.com for all of your Star Wars news, reviews, editorials, information, and more. We want to send a special thank you out to our patrons at Patreon.com slash Resistance Broadcast. If you want to support what we do here, hop over to that link and take a look at what we have there. We actually have some things we're going to be changing in the near future, but you can gain access immediately for $2 a month. And there's tiers that go up, and as, as they go up, there's more uh, perks and rewards. But a special thank you to our generals on our Patreon, and that is Carmelo, Andrew Staley, Jeremy Myers, Neil Shaw, David Probus, John Reese, Micah Harrison, Jetta Rosewater, Michael Gaines, Kendall Gellner, Paul Olson, Jake Houchins, Jeff Connery, Oliver Lewis, Dave Hornack, Frank Grande, Ryan Wara, Haas Oslam, and Val Trichkoff. Thank you all so much for all of your support. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, last but not least, our plugs. You can find me on Twitter at Johnny Hoey, StarWarsNewsNet.com, and my movie podcast, Just Like the Movies. Uh, Lacey. People can find me with a John Powell stand account at Lacey Lauren on Twitter and Instagram. Woo! <laughs> James? <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Meyer Chunks. That's about it. All right. Thank you all so much. Again, we'll be back with you, of course, on Monday morning with another episode right here on the Resistance Broadcast. Make Solo 2 happen, and we'll see you around, kids. Mm-hmm.